All right, good morning. How we doing? <laughs> all right, two people with a whistle. All right, off to a hot start. Uh, hey, it is good to be with you all this morning. My name is Garrison Price. I get to serve here at the Springs with, with, uh, with students, student ministry, 6th through 12th grade, uh, and then with our young adult ministry as well on Tuesday nights, um, which, is, uh, which has been such a blessing uh, as well. Um, kind of young professionals from 22 up until about 30, um, early 30s, and, and uh, it's been really fun to grow with them and that group as well. And so I am so thankful to be here uh, with y'all and be able to just teach God's word this morning. As you see, I'm repping some new merch today. That's right. All right. It's pretty sweet. I know. Uh, and uh, this is our student shirt this summer through Serve New Braunfels um, that we have been doing our service project and service kind of our mission uh, and our camp for this summer has been serving the community on three different days this summer. And this is our shirt. You can help send kids to camp. Uh, here's my, give me your 30 seconds to give you my student spiel. Uh, but about, you can send kids to camp this fall uh, by buying these for $15. Um, and uh, would love to provide them for you. Um, so 15, or you can come serve with us, serve with us and get them for free. So uh, there is nothing like a free t-shirt. So, um, and also... Hey, we're looking for people to come serve, so you get free sweet swag and the coolest shirts at the Springs if you come serve with us. All right, so good to be here with y'all this morning. Um, so I want to set up this morning by just saying uh, it was 2008, all right, 2008. It's uh, New Year's Eve night, okay, I was about 14, okay, I'm 14 years old. My dad goes to bed at like 9, and my mom's asleep on the couch like she did every night, all right, and so... My mom's asleep, I got my sisters in the room, and it's, it's about 11.30 at night. I just finished watching the Peach Bowl every New Year's Eve, that was like my tradition, right? Uh, my Gators weren't playing until January 3rd in the National Championship when we beat Sam Bradford and the Oklahoma Sooners that year, 24 to 14. That's right, yeah, Todd, love that. Uh, and I'm surprised I didn't hear any hisses out there. Any a &M fans? Yeah, exactly. Uh, those of y'all that hissed, everybody around them, look to them, those are your snakes uh, here. Uh, and uh, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, Aggies are pretty sensitive, but um, yeah, exactly. Uh, there we are. Now they're alive. We're awake. Um, and, uh, and so I'm sitting there. Peach Bowl is over. Uh, and if anybody knows, hey, I, you know, after the Peach Bowl, there's not really anything on. But after ESP, on ESPN, after the Peach Bowl, here comes this Red Bull New Year's Eve celebration. New Year's Eve deal. Normally, my sister's like, oh, can we just turn it to ABC? We want to see the ball drop, right? And I'm like, hold on, hold on, what is this? So we're watching, sitting there on my couch, and here's this Red Bull video. Never seen this before, all right? And uh, this guy named Robbie, I don't even remember his last name. I just remember Robbie, okay? They built this up for like 25 minutes, and right at midnight, he's about to make this crazy jump, first ever, to do it right? My sisters look over me like, Garrison, are you sweating? And I'm like, no, shut up. You know, I'm like, I'm nervous for the guy. I'm nervous for this guy about to do this jump. And so we're about to show the video of what I'm talking about. 2008, New Year's Eve, guy named Robbie is about to kill this jump. Go ahead and uh, put that video. <laughs> All right, give it up for Robbie. Come on, 2008. <laughs> My favorite part is right there and she's hugging. I can't imagine what she's with her. You freaking idiot. Like, are you serious? Oh, her face before was priceless, and when he landed on top, I loved that little, like, God, you stupid little, right? Uh, the whole time, I can't imagine what she says, and then I can't imagine what, like, the preparation for that is, and, like, sitting in the Red Bull room of, okay, this year, what are we going to do? We're going to, you know, we're going to blow it out. 
Robbie, what do you think about this? All right, you're going to jump over 100 feet in the air, 10 build, you know, 10 story building. Like, think of how crazy that sounds, and him sitting there like, yeah, cool, why not? Why not? Yeah, and jump back down, great, yeah, easy. Uh, and I think about that of like, man, this guy had to be fully sold on the idea, right, that this was worth it. He had to be fully sold on the idea that, hey, if I do this, I will be a legend, right? First person to ever do this, I will be a legend. The three people that are watching on New Year's Eve, including Garrison Price, is going to think you're, I'm the coolest person in the world, right, that I accomplished something. And then not only that, he says, but if I don't do it, I will still re be remembered by trying and being a daredevil, right? That's what all those guys are all about. I just, hey, I had the courage to do it. And so there had to be some type of desire in him and this idea that I will be remembered for this. This will be worth it. Either way, he sees it as a win-win situation. Okay? And I love that, though. It shows this human. It showed him, right? He circles that thing about four or five times. He's like, I'm such an idiot. Why am I doing this? And rethinking it, he's like, I just got to go for it. Come to find out, when he landed, he, like, ripped his hand, like, when he landed. Uh, and so I hope it was worth it, Robbie, uh, and uh, the cussing that your wife gave you in your ear when you got down. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. So he, uh, he landed, and like I said, he had to fully believe that it was worth it. Either outcome life or death. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Is it worth it? Either way, it's a win-win situation. And why pause? We continue in Philippians, gets to see his situation. We're going to read 19 through 21 through his situation that it is a win-win either way. And that is how he views it. And he views it the same way that Robbie did, and obviously with a lot more clarity than Robbie did when he jumped that jump but he believed it in his soul and to the depth of his being because he had no other choice. And so we're going to read that in uh, Philippians chapter 1, 19 through 21. So um, just some context uh, of what we're about to jump into. John taught last week uh, in Philippians 1, I believe it's 12 through 18, and he talked about, hey, no matter what, we are to preach the truth and preach the gospel. No matter what, no matter your circumstances and no matter their intentions. See, what was happening at that time was the church at Philippi was thriving. That's why his tone towards and throughout the whole letter of uh, Philippians, Paul's tone is out of joy because he gets to write finally. To see the opposite in Corinthians, right? The book of Corinthians because they were not exactly thriving. But in this letter, it's refreshing to see Paul excited to write. In his tone, he's excited of saying, man, praise you. Thank you. I praise God for you. I thank God for you that y'all have not only supported me in my ministry as a missionary, financially, prayerfully we're about to see, emotionally, spiritually, but that y'all are knowing what it means to follow Jesus and live your life as a follower of Jesus. And so he's explaining that. And what we found out last week, though, is there are some people that are envious of Paul. Paul, before he became Paul, was Saul. Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He hated the church. There is not a person in here that hated, hated Christians, the church, or at one point in your life, I don't know where you're at or your story, but that hated church, Christians, and the whole advancement of this gospel more than Paul. Paul lived it for years of his life. And we get to read what happens after. And this is his letters after. His life was completely changed and radically changed. But because of this life change, it was hard for some people to believe him. It was hard for some people to find what he was saying true. 
And so we learned that through verses of what John taught last week, through verses 15 through 18, is that there were some that were sharing the gospel, but out of envy for Paul. They were trying to cut down his ministry. And what Paul gets to say at the end, which I love so much, and what is the whole theme of the letter of Philippians is rejoice. That even in pretense or that they're lying or even out of envy, I get to rejoice because the gospel's still being preached. It is a win-win. I am unashamed of this because the gospel is being preached. And that is what we're going to talk about today. That Paul gets to say, as we're going to read in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain because Paul was fully set on the idea that his sole purpose in life was to advance the kingdom of God. Once he became a Christian, there was a conversion on the road to Damascus. Once he became a follower of Jesus Christ and his ministry began, he had one purpose and one purpose only. And he was all fully, all in, fully um, convinced, convinced and convicted that his purpose in life was to advance the kingdom of God by any means necessary. And so today we're going to learn what it looks like for us in New Braunfels at the Springs Community Church to be able to say the phrase, to live as Christ and to die as gain and understand what that means and how that looks in our lives, and why Paul was able to say this. And so, like I said, Paul, and like John explained, the whole book of Philippians, the letter, he is writing it from prison. Paul is in prison during this time. And the fact that he gets to say rejoice, the fact that rejoice is even in his vocabulary in prison, where he has no idea if the next day he will die. He has no idea what next day what will, it will bring. And it's from that tone, and from that context, and from that knowledge of where he's at, that helps us, and what makes this text truly come alive. And what makes it, honestly, even more impressive of what the Spirit is doing through Paul. And so, today, we're going to talk about, like I said, what it means to live as Christ, to die is gain. And so, if y'all don't mind reading with me, we're going to jump in to the text in the Holy Word of God. And so, we're going to jump in, verse 19 through 21 of Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to finish, sorry, I'm going to begin at the very end of 18, just because I think it's amazing. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I knew, know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that, will, that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The word of God written from Paul in a prison in Rome where Timothy, so some believe, okay, at this time, some believe that uh, the, common, um, the common times, in, in, sorry, the common, uh, I just went blank, uh, the, at that time in Rome, right, it was common, that's what I was looking for, there we are, it was common for a prisoner of his regard, of his renown, and of, of somebody that is known so well like Paul, that he would be chained to another guard. He would be chained to a guard, and they would shift every, I don't know how many hours, eight, maybe 12 hours, and they would switch out with who would have to be chained to Paul and to their top prisoner, I should say. There are some believe that, hey, he is in house arrest. How would he have written Paul, Timothy? They wouldn't have allowed guests at that time. How would he have written uh, Philippians with Timothy, as we see in verse 1? He says, Paul right, bondservant of Christ, and with Timothy, my brother. So how was Timothy able to write it with him if he wasn't in house arrest where they allowed visitation or visitors with Timothy? 
No matter where you stand, I think it's interesting um, on what we believe. Regardless, he's in prison and it's not good. Regardless, he is number one enemy of Rome at this time. And so because of that, the fact that he can say these things, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers in the Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit, that this will turn out for my deliverance. What he means by that, I want to key in on this word deliverance. What he means by that is saying, hey, either deliverance from prison, and not only that, deliverance of my life. Because Paul, once again, has one purpose and one purpose only is to advance the kingdom of God in his ministry. And with him being able to say to live as Christ, to die as gain, he has to fully believe that this was worth it. He has to fully believe that this is true and that it can stand on the name of Jesus Christ till his death, which was very imminent. You only talk like this if you know death is right around the corner. And Paul knew that. Paul knew he had nothing to do. He could do nothing. He was in chains, and all he knew was, I'm going to preach the word as much as I possibly can. And I'm writing to them. In his last days, I just think about that. What would I do in my last days if this was truly my last day? I would not be thinking about sending a letter to, of encouragement to a whole group of people that I probably haven't met a lot of them. And yet, in his, if possibly his last day, he's writing a letter saying, hey, I get to rejoice because the name of Jesus is being preached, whether in pretense or in truth. Not only that, I'm so thankful for your prayers. And so the reason he can say to live is Christ, which is my number one point, to live is Christ, for the common disciple, for any of us that say we are a follower of Jesus Christ, for us to be able to say to live is Christ, we can only say that if we truly know the power that prayer has in our life and the support of prayer from those around us and that we are marked by prayer ourselves and by the help of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul knew that he had nothing to offer, Philippians. Paul knew he had nothing to offer in his flesh. The greatest thing he could offer was through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, through the support of prayer for the Philippians and what he had done in his story of conversion that he's sharing Jesus is the only way. And so I'm going to repeat what I said. To, in order to live as Christ, you have to understand, and we read this from verse 19. The only way to live as Christ is for us to know, hey, he knew that through the power of the prayers of the Philippians in verse 19 and the Holy Spirit, he was fully convinced. What's amazing is as he's fully convinced of the idea of James 5.16, that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. He was fully, uh, fully committed and fully convinced that the truth of Matthew 18.20 was true as well. That where two or three are gathered, there I will be as well, or also. And he knew that the prayer of the Philippians was what was encouraging him to be able to write this. He had nothing to give except the gospel and encouragement to the Philippians of what the Spirit was doing in him and why he gets to rejoice. And so... To live is Christ. What does that mean? And then we see in verse 19 and moving into 20, to live is Christ. How can we live as Christ? We see that Paul explains this of why he can say this through the sacrifice of his flesh. Like I said, for deliverance. So there is. He's talking about him being in prison right before this. So I think there is a ton of example and a ton of support for him saying, hey, deliverance here is key. He's talking about his actual deliverance from prison. There is a ton of context to support this. But what's important about this word deliverance is that he's saying, my flesh. Not only my deliverance 
in actual terms from prison, but my deliverance of my spirit, the deliverance from the worries and struggles of this world, my deliverance that I will get to be with my king if they kill me, and I see it as a win-win. Paul, we see this through his sacrifice of the flesh. Now, we've seen this spirit of humility before. We've seen him say this quite a few times, but I want to go way back. I'm going to go to the back of the time of Jesus when John the Baptist says this in John chapter 3. You see, in John 1, it talks about the light, the light that is to come, capital L. It's talking about Jesus. But we fast forward to chapter 3 and then chapter 5 of John, and John the Baptist is talking about that I can't even, the guy, the man that is coming, I can't even tie his sandals. I'm merely a lamp compared to the light, capital L, that's coming. I'm not worthy to tie this man's sandals because I know that I have nothing to offer other than the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God that he is baptizing. And John the Baptist is known as John the Baptist baptizing thousands. And see, people come up to him in chapter 3 and chapter 5 of saying, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 29 and 30, and that is where we get verse 30 of says, he must be become more, I must become less. Because they were asking him, oh, Jesus and disciples are baptizing. They're running, they're turning from you and going to this Jesus guy. What do you, how do you feel about that? He must become more, I must become less. I'm not worried to tie this man's sandals. I'm merely a lamp. Praise God that he's here. And John died for it. Chapter 5 of John, then they, they then ask Jesus, and then he uses what's amazing and beautiful, is that he uses John as an example as this lamp. That's where we get the whole idea of saying, John was a lamp. I am the light. One of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, that I am the light. And so we've seen this humility before in disciples, is what I'm trying to get at. We've seen this humility, and that is exactly the same tone that Paul is able to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain because I have nothing to offer. And whether I'm delivered in body or in spirit to heaven, if I die or if I'm freed from prison, to live is Christ. When I think about this phrase, and to be honest, just to be completely transparent, it was a really hard week for me in preparation for this because I don't believe this a lot. I don't know about y'all, but to say to live is Christ, to live is, and just picture a blank statement. That wouldn't be the first thing that I think of to fill, it, to fill up that blank. I think to live is job promotion. I think to live is a ring on my finger one day. I think to live is some kids. I think to live is success in whatever I'm doing. What is that for you? To live is... For Paul to say this, and like I said, with full transparency, I said it's a really hard text to teach regardless because it's so rich. I can't do this justice. But number two, it's humbling because I'm like, God, please make this true of my life. I think this world has something to offer me. I think to live is to, you know, live my best life. Material things, a boat one day. I'd love a boat. That'd be nice. <laughs> right? I love to fish. <laughs> that would be actually pretty sweet. But I think to live is to store these things up in my own life of thinking that to live is to fill my soul, to fill this emptiness in my life that I think materialism or a girlfriend or a wife or kids or whatever it is, name it for your life, 
would satisfy. Now, I'm not alone here. I know I'm not. And so I asked these questions. I asked a few questions to some of my peers, family, friends, to kind of go along with this whole idea of to live as Christ and how difficult it is for me. And I thought, man, it must, it's got to be difficult for some other people. Amen? <laughs> so I asked three questions to some of my friends. I'm going to read some of their responses. I asked, number one, what about going all in with Jesus is scary? What about going all in to be able to say to live as Christ to die is gain? You see, right before I go into this, what's amazing about Paul, what I love about this, is he is human, y'all. Paul was not given, there's nothing in the water here. He was not given anything other than the power of the Holy Spirit through him trusting his life in Jesus Christ and living through that. Just as any of us are as well, that Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that you are fully equipped to do ministry. There's nothing special about Paul except his full conviction of what his purpose on life was about. And what I love how we can see he is human of saying in verse 19 and 20, excuse me, 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope, it is not a guarantee. He has an eager expectation and hope that I will not, that I will not be ashamed of the gospel. He has no idea how he'll respond the next time somebody comes and persecutes him or accuses him. But he's saying, with your prayer and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's my hope and my eager expectation that I'm unashamed of the gospel. As he says in Romans to the, to the people of Rome, the church at Rome, excuse me, in chapter 1, verse 16. And so I ask my peers, how hard is that? How difficult is that? What about going all in with Jesus is scary? I'm going to give you two answers. This is from... Uh, two different people. Going all in with Jesus is scary because I feel like I won't be satisfied with just him. I'm afraid I'll need something more or something else if I choose to give up personal comfort to follow after him. Next person says, I think it is scary because of the culture that we live in that sees sin so casually. There are expectations and norms that are in our day to live lives in our day-to-day lives and if we don't live to those norms we become scared of what others are good going to think our pride gets in the way and we want others to see us as cool and normal this is right here number two what keeps you from sharing your faith what keeps you from being what makes you ashamed of the gospel i know i am number two i come up Oh, sorry, what keeps you from sharing your faith? I come up with many excuses for why I don't share more. Lack of knowledge, fear of messing up, fear of offending, fear of the uncomfortable, and even not enough time. Second answer, this answer hasn't really changed over the years. Fear of rejection is the main one. Sometimes swaying toward trying to please those around me, that would be an immediate rejection from some people. Also, trying to be the best at everything I do, sharing my faith comes scripture, brings scripture and answering questions. I'm not confident I could answer everything that was asked of me, so I have the fear of failing component as well. True, 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 <laughs> as I read these. This was such a blessing to me this week. I'm thankful the Lord revealed that to me, that I'm not alone in these feelings as I teach this word. Question number three, why do you think being half in, half out of church and Christianity is comfortable and more appealing? 
I'm going to repeat that. Why do you think being half in and half out of being in a church or a Christianity is comfortable and more appealing than going all in? Being half out, half in, and half out is an easy way to pick and choose the things I like about Christianity, but ignore the hard. It's easier to ignore sins in your life that you don't want to change or be revealed if you only have half in, half out. Not fully committing your life to Christ, just what's easy and pretty for those around you. Being half in and half out seems appealing because it didn't require any sacrifice. It feels like you can hang on to the good things of both sides. You have the blessings, eternal security, and positive social label of being Christian, but still keep your same habits and lifestyle. I think it looks more attractive to people because they're able to act on selfish desires while still having a faith, almost like a backup plan. Most probably, most, sorry, English here, most probably grew up going to church, and it's just what they do, but outside of Sunday, they don't really walk, do life and walk with them. I think the idea of it is attractive, but you're not feeding your spirit, and eventually you're running on E. For me, it brought a lot of confusion, shame, and hurt at the time. Um, at the time, and at that time, it may have seemed fun, but ultimately left me feeling completely empty. Last one, in retrospect, this is amazing. In retrospect, I was really uncomfortable to have one foot in both worlds. I think being half in and half out just felt like being stuck between two huge rocks. I knew I needed to pick one to get out of the rut I was in, but I couldn't tell which one would be better, and it seemed like a lot of work and a big commitment to get there. I bring this up just to say, hey, as Paul says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I'll be unashamed of the gospel, that I'll be unashamed, that this will work towards my deliverance, that if I am delivered, that every day of the rest of my life, I know my days are numbered, that to live is Christ, is my ultimate goal and purpose in this life. It is not easy. And as you hear, our peers and some of us in these seats today are saying, yeah, I'm with you. It's a good feeling to know I'm not alone and saying, I'm ashamed. I miss opportunities all the time. Not only that, I've lived a lot of my life half in and half out in a very selfish way. So we're going to continue. To live is Christ. To live is Christ and why Paul gets to say that. And secondly, to die is gain. Why does Paul get to say to die is gain, and what the heck does that even mean? Because to me, that doesn't make any sense. To die is gain? Like, what, you idiot? Right? And I'm sure the guy, if he is truly chained to somebody, that guard is probably, you're about to get a lot of gain. You keep shutting up, right? You keep talking. You're about to get a lot of gain. You keep, keep talking to me about the gospel, right? All these guards. And I'm sure that that is an opportunity even in prison for this man to share the faith. And I think about that guard of like, man, if I'm blind or don't want to hear any of that truth, how annoying that would be. <laughs> like, God, this guy doesn't shut up. Oh, and then Timothy's here. Good Lord, right? And so <laughs> I just think it's hilarious to think about that. But then I also think about how many guards came to know Jesus Christ through Paul's imprisonment. And how many times you got to explain to the next guard, if this, is, if this is truly how it was, and we don't really know for sure, but I just like to think this way, of how many people came to know Jesus through that prison through Paul being unashamed of sharing his faith, knowing that to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so we're going to continue. We're going to read it over again. Verse 20, as we start, 
To die is gain. It's my number two point, or my second point. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, through the Spirit, through the prayer, and through Jesus Christ, that you have courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, if there is death in his body, he will be delivered. He will also be delivered by sacrificing his flesh, knowing that he's a living sacrifice. He says in Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2, offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Either way, it's a win-win. And Paul, the only way he could write this and be fully convinced is if he knew that truth. It is a win-win, hashtag winning, whatever you want to say, right? Paul is hashtag winning. Because it's a win-win. Either he dies tonight or he gets another day. He gets an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. And he gets to do that by saying, hey, I just pray that day by day by day he is honored in my flesh. The way that I act, the way that I um, abstain from sexual passions, abstain from lust of the flesh, abstain from material want, abstain, run, flee, whatever you want to put in that, uh, that sentence right there. It's hard work and only, and it is his eager expectation and hope, and only because of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that he can do that through the support of prayer for the Philippians, and through the courage that he gets through a trust and faith in Jesus Christ that he gets to say, to die is gain. Here's another way I think that he gets to say this and that he finds it's true is that he's fully convinced and honestly expecting and excited to die. If that's the case, if that's the case, because he will be delivered from the struggles, the worries, the pains, of living a life sold out for Jesus Christ and on this earth. The reason why it's hard for us to say to death, to die is gain is because we think this life has something to offer us. I do. I think this world has something to offer me every single day. I think I deserve something that I don't. And Paul has just come to the conclusion the beginning of his life came at the end of himself. In order to say to die is gain, and for us, Springs Church, to say to die is gain, we have to be fully convinced and convicted that this world has absolutely nothing to offer for the disciple of Jesus Christ other than an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. What more purpose could we ask for? To die is gain. I don't think like this. We live in a world that tells us, hey, everything of this world. Honestly, we live in a world of comfort. Paul knew that the greatest enemy to the church and to the advancement of the gospel and kingdom of God is comfort. The greatest enemy to the advancement of the gospel and the church, the local church of Jesus Christ, is comfort. And yet everything of this world tells us comfort, comfort, comfort. Get away, get further and further away from even the idea of death, which I know sounds morbid, right? We don't want to think about death. It sounds morbid. I don't, I don't think about death very often. 
And Paul's not saying you have to every single day. What he's saying is, hey, I want you to understand, church at Philippi, and I want to understand in my own life, and I want all of us to understand, Springs Church, this world has nothing to offer us, and that if I die today, praise God, I get to be rid of all my struggles day in and day out, and the rid of the unhealthy lifestyles of this world. All the lies, the brokenness, the pain, the struggles, all of that goes. It's gone when we're with Jesus. But he gives us opportunity to live every single day. We're all living. And so how do we live to the full day in and day out? We have to understand that the beginning of our lives comes at the end of ourself of saying, God, I'm merely a living sacrifice for you. I give away my flesh. Yes, it's hard. I give away my wants and my desires to say, and it's scary as I read all throughout these examples and in my own life. It's scary to say this because we love control. But it's saying, I give you everything. Make me a vessel. Make me a living sacrifice so that I can praise your name and advance the kingdom of God. There is no greater way than if what is going to be on my headstone if I die, it is not going to be I love college football or I watch the motocross deal and Red Bull on August 31st, sorry, December 31st or whatever. Fill in the blank. My ultimate desire, and it's not that today, and I ask you all to push me towards this, to where Philippians 1, 19 and 21 is on my headstone saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was fully convinced of that. And if it's something different, convict me, show me. Reveal to me how it's different. How I want to make my name known. As I finish the second point to die is gain, what's amazing is Paul didn't just come up with this. He saw it. Turn to Acts 7 if you have your scripture, have the Bible. We're going to read this. Acts chapter 7. If any of you all know, as I close, this story is about Stephen. Stephen was an early apostle in the church. He was just a faithful man just to share the word of God. And all he wanted to do was just share um, the grace that was bestowed on him by God that changed his life. And so Acts chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 54. This is when he gets stoned. This is the killing of Stephen, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Watch this. Right before, just a little context, he just, he gets pulled in with some of those that are following him. They're preaching the word in the streets of Rome, and they get pulled in. And they're going to be thrown in prison or killed on the spot. Rome hates these guys. They're sharing truth. They're spreading truth. And what's, what's amazing about Stephen is that verses 1 through 53, all he does is just say the greatness and faithfulness of God. Have you not heard about the people of God? And he goes through the whole history of God's faithfulness from creation all the way until that day in 53 verses in front of all these men that he knows I could die doing this that is where we pick up in verse 54 he just did this and presented that in front of the highest of high men in Rome and he goes now when they heard these things they were enraged talking about those men and they ground their teeth with them at him sorry but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Remember when Paul says, keep your eyes on the unseen, not the seen. Anyways, God, there's so much here. 
Uh, <laughs> i got to hurry. Um, and Jesus standing, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Listen to this, those who hate truth. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And when the witness laid down their garments, and the witnesses laid down their garments, where? At the feet of a young man named Saul. Paul was in the crowd, likely had a stone in his hand when Stephen was stoned to death. And these people saw him as the leader of persecution of the church. And they're laying their garments before this man named Saul. Paul was there. And what's amazing is that Stephen, listen to this. Talk about a testimony to die as gain. Somebody that was fully convinced of this was Stephen. And as they stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Deliver me. That I shall be delivered. Philippians 1, 19 to 21. And failing to his knees, falling to his knees, excuse me, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. <laughs> it's crazy to me to think about this, that Paul was standing there before he became a Christian, was standing there as a Top prosecutor, wow, did it, did it? all right, uh, top prosecutor of Christians, that he's standing there witnessing, and you know who the first person, this is the way I think, and probably not right, theologically, whatever, first person that I think Paul's going to go to and went to when he got to heaven was Stephen, of saying, my ministry was encouraged the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, you fill in the blank was encouraged because of your faithfulness at your death. One, I'm so sorry. That's probably not any, any of our vocabulary in heaven. I get that. But number two, thank you that you live to die is gain for me to see as a young man before I became a Christian to where then, and when I'm writing to the church at Philippi, I can say to live as Christ, to die as gain because of the testimonies of a man like Stephen. I've seen the way the name of God was glorified through his death. How crazy is that? And so for us to be able to say to live as Christ, to die as gain, we have to understand that it is a win-win being a follower of Jesus. We have to understand that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we understand that this is not our home, that this world has nothing to offer us. That the ultimate, greatest day of Paul's life was the day he was beheaded. Because he's saying, the name of Jesus was glorified in my death because I went down to my death faithfully sharing the truth. Because my life was impacted and influenced when I saw that in Stephen and all the brothers and sisters that were dying at this time in the persecution of the early church. To live is Christ. To die is gain. So Monday nights I've been, uh, I've been um, bringing over my, during the summer, bringing over my, uh, my small group of guys. We have high school, I have high school boys, 10th through 12th grade. Uh, they've been coming over on Monday nights for what we call Man Mondays, right? Uh, and it's, I think it's honestly my best 
the best discipleship I've done in a year has just been this stupid idea to where I have literally put on, we, I cook dinner, right, and which that's embarrassing in and of itself. Uh, I cook dinner or make dessert, right? I've ma- I make some really good tacos uh, and spaghetti. The guys like my spaghetti. So uh, I cook dinner for them or make, bring dessert and we watch a manly movie, right? Watch a manly movie. Now, real quick. Parents, we gotta, we got to show these kids some of these movies. I've had two weeks in a row where these guys have never seen Gladiator or Braveheart, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on, right? So I'm going to train parents. We're going to have a parent meeting of how to disciple your, your boys, right, how to become men, is to show some of these movies to these guys. They had never seen Gladiator or Braveheart, and yes, the rated R and <laughs> not my best <laughs> examples of leadership in youth ministry, uh, but they need to see it. And so they need to see it. And so... Uh, don't worry, I skipped some of the scenes. And so, uh, I, yeah, normally my mom, there's a reason why my mom said you can only watch that on TV. Uh, anyways, we're going to move on. So I'm showing these guys Braveheart and Gladiator, right? Two weeks ago we watched Gladiator and all the guys, you know, Maximus Aurelius and all this. And, like, I'm just getting pumped. The guys are like, who are you, right? I'm just getting so hyped, pumped. You know, just testosterone's flowing in the room, everything. Then last week we watched Braveheart. One of my favorite movies of all time. We watched Braveheart about a name, guy named William Wallace, right? He frees Scotland from the reign of, uh, of Great Britain. And after the movie, I'm really trying to bring some spiritual stuff into it. <laughs> At the last second, it's like my last ditch effort to say, why did we not just eat ice cream and watch Braveheart? I, yeah, what did you see? You know, what did you learn from this movie? And all the guys are like, I mean, it's cool, right? <laughs> and uh, I love ministry with, with guys. It's just like one answer, you know, one word answers. Uh, it was cool, you know. Uh, hey, what'd you think about this? It was tight, right? <laughs> and uh, and I just think it's hilarious. But I'll, I, I start to explain to them, hey, no, like what made William Wallace special was he had he was just an ordinary guy. If you watch the movie early on, he says, "I'm not going to war. I just want to plant crops, have a wife, live the dream." Now, unfortunately, it takes the death of his wife for him to completely go awol on all these right. The British the, on England. But what I was trying to explain to them of saying, all this man had was he was fully convinced and committed to a vision. And that vision was freedom for his people. And he stopped at nothing to make that happen. And the guys were like, wait, didn't he go out of revenge, which is a sin? I'm like, all right, forget that, you know. Like, stay with me. Stay with me. The whole idea of it was that he was committed to a vision and a mission to free his people. And he would do whatever it took. And to his last breath, y'all know the scene right? Do you confess that whole deal? And he yells while being tortured, freedom, right? We've all seen it, hopefully. Actually, no, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) Apparently, none of y'all have seen it. Uh, And so he yells freedom, and at the very end, it shows that his people were freed, which I was also told from New Braunfels High School that that whole story is a lie. So anyways, regardless, golly, I need to talk to the superintendent, apparently, uh, and get Braveheart back into schools. But, uh, Anyways, (laughs) get back, get back on track. To finish this, my whole idea was, hey, what made William Wallace special was not that he was some, he wasn't a warrior, he wasn't some crazy great with a sword and hadn't gone to all this training. He was an ordinary guy. But once he realized, I'm going after a mission to free my people, it changed everything. And we know of him, we, we love those type of stories because he did whatever it took, and to his last breath, he was fully convinced on this mission. And so I ask us, 
Springs Church, are we fully committed to the mission that the only reason we are on this earth is to make his name known as Paul? Are we fully convinced that this world has nothing to offer me and nothing to offer you that will ever satisfy my soul? And to be a man and woman of faith of just saying, God, I am imperfect, I am human. Through the prayers of each other, which is a point towards community, the prayers of one another and the Holy Spirit, that I may have courage to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I want that. I don't know about y'all. And so what did we learn today? Number one, to live as Christ. To live as Christ. It's so simple. We think of it. It's not. To live as Christ. We understand that it's so difficult to understand this. To live as Christ and to die as gain. The life with Jesus is a full life of joy and contentment, but it also does never promise, never promised a life of happiness. It never promises a, ha- a life of easy. It's actually the qu- quite opposite. And what I said earlier of saying, man, when we understand that the beginning of our life beca- begins at the end of ourselves, when we see each other and see ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord, wanting to be used, desiring to be used, as Paul says in first or Second Corinthians 4, that I'm like a pot, right? A pot, like a clay pot, a jar of clay. When we see that, it then becomes real to us that we can truly say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so my application for us today is, hey, where are we at with this? And I think this is where I key in on community groups. And please, if you have notes, if you're taking notes, please write these things down because I encourage you all. And we're going to check in and ask, have you asked these questions to your community group? Not only community, family, whoever your closest friends are, those of you that aren't in one, who do you go to? Who knows you the best where you can ask these questions and they can give you real, honest, and loving answers, not sugar-coated? Number one, what do I talk most about in life? What do I talk most about in life? Because what you truly believe and love is what you talk about. Number two, what worries me most in my life? What worries me most in my life? And number three, what do I get most excited about in life? What excites me the most? So, what do I talk most about in my life? What worries me the most in my life? And what do I get most excited about? See, to live as Christ and to die as gain is not a Paul-specific thing. This can be a true statement in all of our lives when we are fully convinced that the advancement of the kingdom is the sole reason we have breath in our lungs. Paul was fully convinced of this and why Philippians 19 to 21 is such a text, such a hard text to teach, and not only that for us to apply, but why we here to live as Christ and to die as gain. I pray that it may become more clear to us as a church today and that we get to live this out. Somebody that lived this out as I close is a guy named Justin Martyr, where we get the word martyr from, martyrs of the faith martyrdom. He's born in 100 AD. This was about 35 years. They like to believe that Paul was persecuted, or excuse me, me, beheaded in 64 AD. So what is that? 36 years later, this man named Justin Martyr was born in Rome. He was raised by pagan parents, became a Christian, came to know the Lord, began to go and studied at school to become a philosopher. He was brilliant. 
Remember, raised by pagan parents. He and his disciples one time, his followers, men that were teaching the word faithfully, got arrested. They were then given an opportunity. Hey, we'll let you go. We'll give you freedom if you sacrifice to our gods. If, you're a sac- if you give up this sacrifice and honor our gods as the Lord of your, lords of your life, little L. And his response, I love this. If we are punished for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, we hope to be saved. They were then taken out and beheaded. Their fellow Christians secretly set out to retrieve their bodies and gave them an honorable burial as martyrs. They rejoiced that their companions had remained faithful and inherited eternal life. And last, a guy named John Hughes that played a pivotal role. I'm probably saying that right uh, or wrong. He played a pivotal role as a predecessor, right, for uh, uh, the Protestants. And his teaching, teaching influenced a lot of Western Europe at that time. He lived before Calvin did. He lived uh, before Martin Luther did. And he basically, his whole purpose was to teach the word of God in com- contrast to what the Catholic Church was doing at that time. And specifically, the ecclesiastical uh, part of the Catholic Church, which meant all the paintings and all the beautiful things they're making. And he's saying, it's empty without Jesus Christ. And him speaking that sounded like heresy to these people. And so he and his followers were again imprisoned and burned at the stake. Moments before his death, before his death, the imperial marshal asked John one final time to take back what he had said and to save his life. In his response, God is my witness that the principal intention of my teaching and all my other acts or writings are solely that I might turn people from sin. Repent. And in that truth of the gospel that I wrote, taught, and preached in accordance with the sayings and expositions of the holy doctors, I am willingly glad to die today. And the executioner started the fire at that moment. You don't die well if you don't live well. And we learned what a true life looks like to live as Christ, to die is gain. And if we want that to be true of our lives, It comes from a complete surrender of saying, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm going all in, and I realize that this world has nothing to offer me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so I leave of, do we believe that, and what do we believe? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much, God, just for your holy and active, sharp as a two-edged sword word. Thank you, Lord, that it is profitable for correction, reproof, for teaching and training up in righteousness, that the man of word, the word, shall lack nothing. Thank you, God, that we learn through three verses in broken teaching and brokenness that your truth is worth following, God, that Jesus Christ is worth it, that a life lived for Jesus is the only true source of life when this world wants to offer us so many other things and so many ways of believing that. Lord, I pray that that is true today at the Springs, that we as the active and living church of God, Father, live this out, to live as Christ and to die as gain. May we leave with an understanding of what that looks like for us in each and every one of our lives. We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory. Amen. Hey, y'all, thank y'all so much for coming.
pray you have a great week of worship. Thanks.